And guess what? We'll be opening up some gifts. We'll be opening up some gifts. Now, I just want you to think with me for a moment. If somebody gave you a gift, but you never opened it, what might you miss? That which somebody was going to express their love for you in a gift. For every gift that is given, somebody is trying to express something of themselves to you. If it's no, no more than just a thank you for what you've done. There's no more in that gift that it says, I appreciate who you are. If there's no more in that gift that says, you're dear to me. For that gift says something. And that gift speaks volume. But if you never open that gift, you'll never know really what that person is trying to share with you in this life. And opening that gift oftentimes starts with sometimes taking the bowl off. See, my gifts, I just put them in a paper bag, wrap them, put a rubber band around them, and put a name on them. They just, but at least you got to get the rubber band off. <laughs> and then, after you take the ribbon off, you got to take the tape off or tear the paper off. And then maybe you still have to open something to see what's on the inside. Because you asked Jesus Christ into your life, have you taken the bowl off? Have you begun to unwrap him? And do you really see what God was trying to give unto you through the person of Jesus Christ? He's given us much more than just a Savior. He's given us much more than somebody to take me from earth to heaven. He's given me much more in Jesus Christ than someone who just forgives me of my sins. He's given me so much more. And we want to explore that a little bit in Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 6. Because Paul explains this gift in 2 Corinthians 9. He says it in this fashion. It's an unspeakable gift. It's a, it's, it's a gift that you cannot really describe. Uh, you'd be a commercial on that you would give this gift, and it said that this gift was an ongoing. It just keeps on going. This is the gift of Jesus Christ. You can never exhaust His love. You can never exhaust all that God has in Christ for you. You can never exhaust this gift. You can never use it up. Nor can you overuse it. And he's giving you the richness of this gift in this person of Jesus Christ. Do we know all God has given us in Christ? The richness that we have in Christ. Do we understand that? Do we explore it? 
And see, until we begin to really open this Bible up and really dig into it, just like in that song that we were singing, the Lord just stopped me for a moment. Yeah, we're singing the song, but do I understand this? Do I understand this part of it? Do I understand this part? Because the one who was writing that song and, and who was putting that song down for us, God's dealing with him in each step. Now, how does that, how do we receive it? And do we really know the richness of the music that we sing sometimes? Or we just sing it because the choir is supposed to sing at this time, or the praise team is supposed to sing at this time. And, and, and we're going through the ritual part. We're going, but is it really sinking in here? The, am I understanding what God is trying to say to me, even through the music? Do I understand it? He, he says, boy, it's an indescribable gift. When you get something and you can't really describe it, it's, and oftentimes we will use these words, it's wonderful. It's awesome. It's dynamite. We're saying things, but we can't really express it. But it's there. What I'm thinking about this gift that I've received is great. God, in various ways, has repeatedly, though, revealed his love to us. Just think throughout the year. How many ways God has shown his love to you? Just think about it. How God has loved you. How God has kept you. How God has brought you through this. How God has allowed you to go through this, pick you back up, wash you off, and tell you, okay, let's go. The whole process is to understand in many various ways God is showing to us His love. And in Isaiah 6, he's just going to unravel it just a little bit for us. We still do not comprehend his love. And I don't think we will comprehend it throughout eternity. We will see a deeper. We will see more of it. Can you understand this? God did not create heaven for himself. But he really did create heaven for you and his angels. If you read the very first part of Genesis, it tells you something. God was existing without a heaven or earth. God doesn't need a place to put his feet on. But he created heaven that we might Enjoy it with him. He didn't need a heaven. For he existed without it. And then he created it. And he created it for a purpose. For his angels. And for you and I. To worship him. And to enjoy his presence. We'll never be able to totally comprehend the great love that God has for us. He tells us in Isaiah 9, and get to verse 6 with me. He says, For a child is born, 
I want you to get stuck for a moment with me for the word for. The word for. The word for. And understand this. It was not for him. For a child was born. But not for himself. Not for himself. Not for himself. Now on the earthly side of that, boy, oftentimes as married people, they want to have children. They want to have children in order to somewhat to say, well, my family's complete. I have a complete family. God isn't doing that in order to be complete or to feel complete. God is complete all within himself. That's why man can't even give God anything that God has need of. God is self-sufficient. He needs nothing from us. But we need everything from him. And he uses that word for. And in the dictionary, if you just go study the word for, we'll begin to understand that for is in place of. He gives this child in place of. In place of. In place of the child that I should have been. The type of child that I should have been to the Lord. He gives this child as an example that I can learn how to be his son, his daughter. In place of. Instead of, as a representative of, that Christ, this child that was born, was born in place of, because see, at this point, the Lord says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have gone what? All have gone astray. So all of us who thought we were his children per se, and understand this, and the world uses this totally wrong. Everybody is not God's child. Everybody is God's creation. But everybody's not God's child. That's the whole purpose of Romans 8, to show that we're adopted into the family of God. And then we become the children of God. As we are adopted into the family, we become the children. And that whole process, it's something that has to happen. And he says, boy, uh, Christ was born to represent me as the type of child that I should have been to the Father. And he begins to become that example for me. It is in interest of that God is interested in me that he would send his son to show me how I am to live for him. To show me how I am to live for him. That he sends this child. And this child grows in favor with God and with man. And this child learns how to serve his father. And we hear in the scripture that Jesus says, I always do the things that what? Pleases my father. And the whole issue is that I learn how to please my Father. In replace of that word for, 
in replace of. That he took my place in being the obedient child that I should have been. That I should have been. So the first thing that he tells us in that text, he says, for to us, not to himself. Boy, sometimes really follow exactly what the word is saying. For us, not for himself. But for us, a child is born. A child was not born for him, for Jesus was already existing with him. So he was not born for the pleasure of God. He was born for us. To be that example of what it is to be a child of God. To be a child of God. The child Jesus is the child I should have been. As a child doing his father's will. That I'm always about doing my father's will. Not whose will. But that I'm doing my father's will. That I'm always having a heart desire to please him. Why most of the time we're out trying to please who? Ourselves. And he demonstrates life in pleasing the Father. How does he please the Father? By being obedient to the Father. And the Hebrews tell us he was obedient even unto what? Death. Lord, this hurts too much. Lord, this is too painful. Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Yes, you can. If you desire to please him, you can deny yourself and do a great deal. But you have to want to first desire to please him. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. I think I told you this a couple weeks ago when we was out visiting Barbara Norris, Roscoe and I, and I shared with her even while you're upon this bed, Barbara, and you can't get yourself out of bed, even get into your chair, you can still do the Father's will if you desire. There's a church full of folks at Aquiline's Fellowship that need you to pray for them. You can do that all day long. You can pray for us. You can pray for the younger ones that they will be faithful like you were faithful unto God. You can pray. That's a ministry in and of itself. And that might be the very last ministry that a lot of us will be able to perform and do. And I said, Barbara, every time somebody comes in here to clean you up, somebody comes in here to do something for you, you can smile at them and say, thank you. And you can share something about God's love with them. You got a captivated audience that God is bringing in to wait on you. And oftentimes what we do, we fall into our self-pity. We fall into this. We fall into that. God says, let everything that has breath do what? Praise Him. And as long as I have breath, I'm obligated to do what? Praise Him. Not about my condition. It's about if I have breath. I praise him. I witness for him. I tell people about his goodness. As long as I have breath, I'm sharing his love with other people. It's not about how I feel. Not about what I'm going through. 
is that God gave me another breath to praise Him, to tell somebody about Him. That makes a world of a difference. And now I'm not about pleasing me. I'm about pleasing who? And the last thing I shared with Barbara is this. You will not be late on going home. Because she wants to just die. She just wants to leave, leave here. And I can understand that because when you're in such agony or you can't do anything, you've been used to being a person who moves and active. And all of a sudden you have. And I just reassured her, Barbara, when God said, come up here, guess what? You're gone. You won't be late. None of us in this room will be late for that appointment. For it's appointed unto man once to die, and then you will not be late for that. Oh, be assured of that. You may be late for a lot of things. But when God say, come up here, you won't be late. You'll be on time. And this child becomes an example for us. So in Romans 8.29, he says that it's his desire. Let's, let's turn to it. Romans 8 and verse 29. Because, see, we need to understand what God is doing. When he says, boy, this child is born for us. For us. He says in verse 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. In other words, predestined, you're going this way. You're going a certain way whether you want it or not. Because God says this is what he's ordained for you. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you may say, well, I don't want no twin. Well, you got an identical twin named Jesus Christ. And God says you're going to be just like him. And he goes on, he says, for those who... God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Likeness of his son. Now, now understand, you may be saying, well, God, I want to be me. And God is saying, what's that saying that we tell the little kids sometimes? God don't like ugly. See, that's, that's grown folks too. God don't like ugly. So he's given a perfect individual that he loves to look upon. Jesus, his son. And he says, you're going to be just like my son. Not like you, but like my son. You're going to be just like my son. And he said, he gave us this child. To be born for us, not him. To be the example for us, not him. To show us how to do his father's will. To show us how to please his father. To know how to put him first and ourselves second. For Jesus always put the things of the father first. Father, if this cup can pass from me, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. He was always second. God always first. 
Have you gotten to that place that you're second and God is first? You're second, no matter what you want in life, and God is first? When you discover to please God first and above everything else, you'll find this little thing takes place. God puts you first. God gives you the desires of your heart. God begins to work. Because when you put him in first place, he tells you, come on up here. First place. He starts putting you first. Because now you've put him first. It's strange how that works. But it's a reality. He says, secondly, a son is given. A child is born, but now a son is given. But he's given with a purpose. He's given with a purpose. He's given to be the savior of the world. He's given to bring forgiveness into a world. He is given with a purpose. Oftentimes we're born and our main purpose is just that we please our mom and dad when we give. The whole thing when you're first born, you're talking about how pretty you are. Oh, isn't he just lovely to look upon? Then when you get 12, 13, 14, you're oh, ugly, brat, you this, you that, you know. What changed? Still the same person. Just causing little heartaches. We're that way with God. When we're first born in the Spirit and born from above, oh, we're, boy, we're all excited about this relationship. And we're excited about our God, but somewhere that begins to wing off. And he says, Boy, I've given my son on your behalf. On your behalf. On my behalf. And, and the word you want to focus on is that he gave. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. He gave. He gave. He wasn't giving anything to himself. He was given to us. He was given to us. And he would give his son to us. And he has a purpose in there. We go look at John 3.16. He gave his son that we might believe. That we might believe. And that's the first thing that really comes up. That we might believe. He gave. Because people were not believing. And they're trusting in other things. And he gave his son that we might believe. And then secondly, he said that they may have eternal life. He gave his son that we might believe. And in believing upon him, we would receive eternal life. He gave because there was no other way of getting it. There is no other way of achieving eternal life and living with him. Without God giving his son. Without Christ dying on our behalf. Every one of us will go to hell or what took place in the time of Noah will have taken place all over again. There would have been a sudden destruction of all life. And I believe the only reason the flood took place, understand this, because years later, God is saying, this is what I could have done to you. 
This is what I could have done to you. I could have just wiped the earth of all humanity. And he only left one family to give witness to it. Noah. Science says if something happens one time, it can occur what? Again. If it can happen one time, it can occur again. And the issue really boils down to understanding that. That God himself gave his son on our behalf that he would not have to do what he did in the day of Noah. He gave us his son. He gave his son to show his love in Romans 5.8. While we were yet cursing, acting a fool, not acknowledging him, doing all the foolish things we do, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And God was saying, I love you. I love you. And there's many people today that don't look to Calvary, give no thought to Calvary, give no thought of what God has done on their behalf. It's almost like a lot of children. You can grow up poor and not know you're poor if you're loved. Because you are rich in love. For those of you who may not have had a family, you may not have never experienced that. And that becomes a hardship between you and God even. To believe that you can really be loved and cherished. One thing we knew out of 14 kids, we knew we were loved by our mom and our dad. Didn't always understand them. We didn't always have what we wanted. We wore patches, holes in our socks. But they was always clean, even though they had holes in them. And never missed a meal. It wasn't nothing but some peanut butter and jelly. Or some homemade rolls with butter and jelly. And some homemade applesauce. We were rich. We were rich because we were loved. We were loved. And we're rich in God because we're loved by God. Not by what he gives us. But because God has chosen me, chosen you to love us in spite of ourselves. He gave his son that we might be reconciled to him. That God brought us back to himself. A lot of people, as I said earlier, will say, I'm a child of God because they have life. And they just figure, well, there's a God, and this God gave me life, and therefore, because he is God, I'm his child. A lot of fathers have given birth to a child, but have never acknowledged what? That's their child. That's their child. And God has created many. But he has not acknowledged that they are all his children. But when God, when you enter into this relationship with God, God says now in Romans 8, I give you the right to now call me daddy, papa, to call me father. Father. 
You now have that right. Well, before you were not having that right. But now you have it. Gus is going through that process with his kids. The first one that he adopted, boy, it took him a little while, but they had him since he was about six weeks old. And Kai don't know anybody else to call father but Gus. Now he adopts one that's nine years old. He adopts another one that's seven and one that's four. They're learning how to call Gus and Tia dad and mom. They're, they're learning how to associate that. For the nine-year-old was basically raised by his grandmother. None of them really know their father. They've only seen him a couple of times. But the whole process, they never had nobody to really attach to. Now they're attaching. Now they're getting used to calling Gus and Tia, Dad and Mom. And, and, and the whole thing, Jaden beginning to say, that's my father. That's my father. Now, it's not the biological father. But he is. Why? He fulfills that role. He fulfills that need that's in the heart. He fulfills that which is so needful within. That is no problem to say, that's my father. Hey. Jaden, when he first came here and I first met him, uh, I, I went over the next day and I got him. I said, we're going to a donut shop. I don't like donuts. I said, I didn't ask you if you like it. I said, we're going. You know. And down, down the hill we walk, and, and we're talking. And I'm explaining Jaden about what to expect out of this grandpa. And he looked at me and he said, you're not my grandpa. I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you're going to be my son's son, and my son adopts you, you're going to be my grandchild. And I'm going to treat you just like all my other grandchildren. And whether you like it or not, I'm going to be your grandpa. <laughs> whether we like it or not, once we accept Christ, we have a heavenly father. Because of Jesus Christ. He reconciled me to my father. To the one who created me. And I was able to begin to really call him meaningfully Father. Sometimes we call people fathers, even though they are biological fathers. We're just saying it because that's what we've been taught, but there's no real what? Feeling inside towards it. Let me share something with you. When you begin to really know your Heavenly Father, you'll call him that Father. Father, Father, because he's very dear to you. And he does exactly what a father is to do. He provides. He provides. He protects. He raises. He rears us. He does what a father is to do. Without Jesus Christ reconciling me to the Father, I would be an orphan still. Without a father, I would be an orphan still. And it says that he came and he gave his son for this purpose. That I might believe, I might have eternal life, I might know his love, and that I might be reconciled to him. He gave his son. A child was born for us. 
For us, a child was born. And to us, a son was given. He goes on and he says, next thing takes place, because he takes us from his childhood to adulthood in a sense. He takes us from being the child to the future. He moves Christ that quick. The Holy Spirit in this right now, he moves him. He's no longer the child. But now he's a grown individual in a sense. With all responsibility where? On his shoulders. For it says the government will be on his shoulder. When you want to be grown, isn't that right, Mick? A lot of responsibility falls, don't it? To feed yourself, clothe yourself. Hey? Even help pay a water bill. Hey? Hey? I don't know if you're paying rent, but you should be. But the whole process should be. That whole thing, that responsibility falls where at? On the person now who say that they're grown. He moves us from the childhood to the adulthood of Christ. And he says, boy, the government is on his shoulders. What is he saying when he speaks of government being on the shoulders of Christ? Well, he says right there, boy, and the government will be on his shoulders. Government is to exercise authority. That Jesus would exercise authority. And we see that in Scripture when he grows up. He's exercising authority. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's speaking to nature. He's exercising authority. And he exercises authority over the church. Why? He is the head of the church. And this government and this system of the church all rest on his shoulders. He is the head of it all. It's a system of rules. And he governs his rules in his church and in his body and in the life of the believer. He's in control of your life, whether you like it or not. He's in control. You say, well, I haven't given him control. Well, you're the one suffering. But believe this, you can do no more than what he will allow you to do. The thing that you're missing out on is this, his blessings. You're, you're missing out on allowing him to lead you into greener pastures. You're missing out on him really being able to show you what all you can be in him. You're missing out on all the blessings he wants to shower upon you. It's like a rebellious child in the house that doesn't receive all that the father would love to give him. See, some people haven't figured out When a parent pass on, there's no such thing as just dividing equally. That's a world standard. Let's divide equally. See, I'm a steward of God's funds. I'm not going to give you a part of my wealth or my inheritance of what God has made me steward of. And I know you'll drink it up in two months. Mm Mm-mm. Now, that's why the state came up with this whole thing. Only thing you have to do in the state of Ohio, I believe it is, when you do your will, is leave your loved one about $10. That is to show that at least you thought of them and you were in your right mind. So you can give one person $10 and you can give another person $10,000. And they cannot contest that will because it's been proven 
you were in your right mind when you said you only want to leave this one $10 and you're leaving this one $10,000. The thing is, this one, you know, will be careful with that money. They won't want to use it like the prodigal son. And the whole thing, what God is saying here, he governs that. In the body of Christ, how many of you understand something? Boy, the blessings of God comes to those who are really obedient to God, more so to those who are being rebellious. God isn't going to heap a lot of blessings upon you when you're rebellious. God's not going to heap a lot of blessings upon you when you're going out in the world doing everything he says not to do. God is not going to bless you when you won't honor him. But he says when you honor him, he'll honor you. He says when you humble yourself under his mighty hand, he'll lift you up. And God says he wants to shower you with the inheritance that are yours. And Jesus Christ is in control of all that. He's in control of it all. Go to Colossians 2.10. Colossians 2.10. If you don't have this one, underline, underline it for yourself. He says in Colossians 2.10, And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Who is the head over every what? Power and authority. What does it mean over every power and authority? People sometimes laugh at Christians. When somebody's getting ready to be sentenced by a judge or whatever, and the judge comes back and does something totally different than what people expect, it's because somebody's been interceding in prayer. And God then touches the judge's heart. Or when you're applying for a certain job, and you got people praying for you, and God touches that person's heart and says, when you do that interview, that's the one I want you to hire. That's the one. And sometimes God opens that door. That is what he's talking about. Over all power, over all authority. For people who think they sit in authority are under authority of someone else that is far greater called God. Called God. And God is able to speak to because he's in authority. He's in authority. He's over all power. He's able to do it. You want to really challenge yourself on something? I dare you to do this, because I, I do it. I say, God, Prudential is nothing but a company. But God, you're over Prudential. And God, whoever is handling my funds and my 401k and my account, Lord, show him where to put your money. And God, increase your money. <laughs> If he's over it at all, he says I can come to him and ask him what? Yeah. But you got to believe that. You got to believe 
that God can put more oil in your jar. You got to believe that God can add more flour where you'll never run out. You got to believe that God can bless you in such a way. And then when you start praying that way and asking God and seeing it happen, why? He's over all authority. He's over all power. He's over it all. And let him open those doors. Let him give the increase. Boy, and you'll see him do some things that you would have never thought of. It's amazing what God is able to do. But you've got to believe it. And God says, put me to the test. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. I started all my kids with some type of investment when they started college and then turned it over to them as they graduated. Now you can spin it or you can keep it going. But if you pray and let God increase it and do, God will always provide for you. He'll do it. And he says he's over all authority. He's over all power. We say these words, but then we don't act on the words. We have to believe it. We have to act on it. And allow him to perform it. God said, have not I said it? Will not I do it? He'll do it. Then he comes down a little bit further to unwrap this gift. He says, this thing about something that we have a great need of. It says, he's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. When was the last time you needed counseling? Don't run to the pastor. Don't, 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 don't run to a friend. Now, I'm not saying don't use them per se. But you want to first get your counseling from the Lord. You want him to talk to you. You want him to counsel with you. You want him to talk to you. You want him to guide you. And he says, he's a wonderful counselor. He's a gentle counselor. He's a kind counselor. And he's the type of counselor that will not put more upon you than what you can bear. He knows exactly what you have need of. But you're the one who got to be willing to go to him. Go to Isaiah chapter 30 and just follow down there with, with me a little bit. You know, it's so good to be able to take this and open it up and allow God to confirm what he says. Because, see, we can talk from the top of our heads or we can talk from Scripture. And what's important is that you talk from Scripture. And he says in verse 1, Woe to the obstinate children or the rebellious children declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. Understand this, you're trying to push your plan through, and God said it won't work. <laughs> it won't work. But you're, you're at it, you're pushing at it, you got it down. But have you ever taken it to the Lord and asked the Lord, Lord, are these your plans for me? Have you ever opened your mind and your heart to allow God to speak to you about your plans, about what you're planning in life? 
And he goes on and he says, Forming an alliance, but not my spirit. But not by my spirit. So you're forming an alliance. Who are you forming an alliance with? Understand something. Either God will lead you, or some demonic influence will lead you. The God of this world, he is called, will lead you. It's one or the other. There's nothing in the middle. Understand this. You never lead yourself. Either it's God leading you or some demonic influence leading you. And it goes on, he says, Who go down to Egypt without consulting me? Before you go look for wisdom, before you go somewhere else, before you're going to ask counsel of somebody else, you haven't even talked to me. Who goes down to Egypt without consulting me? Who looks for help to Pharaoh's protection? If God is all powerful and God is almighty and God is over, why am I running some earthly king? I go to him. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. They, though they have officials in Zon and their envoys have arrived in Haines, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage but only shame and disgrace. When you take counsel of what you call friends sometimes, measure it. What do I mean by measuring it? See if it's godly advice. Understand this. Worldly advice will always bring you to a point of shame and disgrace and just trouble. Godly advice will always bring you to peace and success. Peace and success. Why peace? You can't follow nobody's plan without peace. If your mind's going all over the place and you don't have inward peace, you can't follow nobody's plan. You can't even follow your own plan. You'll even question your own plan. Because you don't have peace. But when you have peace, now you can follow God's plan. And you'll, you'll discover success. You'll discover it. And he said, God wants to counsel you. Go to Psalm 73, 24. Psalm 73, verse 24. Because we need to understand that, boy, he is a wonderful counselor. He's a wonder, wonderful, wonderful counselor. And he'll talk to you about anything and everything. He'll talk to you about your sex life. He'll talk about your no sex life. He'll, he'll, he'll talk to you about everything, your feelings, your hurts, your downs, your fears. He'll talk to you about it. He says, you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Catch what he's saying. From beginning to end, God will counsel you. 
He'll guide you with his counsel. And afterwards, you will be taken. He will take you into his glory. God counsels you all of your life. And God said, yes, life is going to come to an end. And after I've counseled you through your life and through all your successes and through all your situations of life, I'll bring you on up here with me. I'll counsel you. I'll lead you. Every now and then I have a dream that's very disturbing to me. And it started a long time ago when we was going through that camp before we went to Vietnam. And what they would do, have these 55-gallon drums. Do you remember those, Ken? at North Carolina, and what they would do, the drums would be down in the ground, though, and they lower you in the ground and then put the lid to see how long it would take before you break here. <laughs> and every now and then, I will wake up from this dream just all fearful and frightened because I see myself being closed in. And I had to ask right then, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And it's becoming more of apparent that some things that flashes back now than what they were, and I thought some things I was over with. Boy, I get on the elevator, especially if it's a real small one. And it takes, Lord, you got to deliver me from this. And that time I had to have, like I told you, boy, I had to get that MIR. And boy, put me in there. Lady, get me out this thing. <laughs> and me and the Lord, we had to sit there along the side of the thing and talk about it and pray about it. And the Lord said, take a magazine. And I put that magazine right here. And I just kept reading that magazine. Not thinking about what. Just reading that magazine. And God got me through it. God will counsel you through every little part of life if you allow him. He says he's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. You've got to allow him to counsel you. That's part of the gift that God has given you in Jesus Christ. Have you discovered how wonderful he is as a counselor? Have you discovered that he really is a mighty God on your behalf? That's the gift that we're still unwrapping in this relationship with Christ. He's a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. For nothing's too hard for him to do. Nothing's too hard. It says what's impossible with man is what? Possible with God. He's the mighty God. And when you're a mighty God, nothing's too hard. Nothing. There's nothing you cannot do. He's a mighty God. He's described as. Have you discovered him? Have you unwrapped his might, his power? Do you really know it? He's more than able. And it says he's an everlasting father. He's an everlasting father. What is he talking about? When you take the word father and you look it up and you explore it, The main meaning that comes out of Father is this, provider and protector. God 
will provide for you from the day in which you are born. Now, you may not always like the way he provides. But if you're here today, God has kept you. I don't care what you went through. I don't care what pains and hurts. I don't care what kind of life you've lived. The only reason you are here is because God protected you from death. Period. There's a number of times this guy should have been gone. My heavenly father, who I didn't even know, was providing and protecting. He provides for us. He didn't say he'd give us the very best. Because he's already did that in Jesus Christ. All these other things, boy, he provides to sustain you. That's, that's, that's his main purpose, to sustain you. See? He keeps you. He shelters you. He loves you, even when you're not worthy of being loved. If you've been married for any time, you know what that means. For I've been loved when I was not worthy of being loved. And the whole process is he's a father who provides. David is able to say it this way. I once was a child but now I'm old. I've never been forsaken nor have I seen the seed of God doing what? Begging for bread. Why? The father has always what? Provided He'll always protect. Why? You're his. Until we understand this principle, when I accept Christ, I'm no longer, in a sense, responsible for me. I'm responsible to learn from God. But I'm not responsible to keep me. Guess who will keep me? Yes. If I'm not lazy, he'll provide for me. Because one of the first things he did with Adam, even though he put everything in the garden for Adam, he put Adam to what? To work. To work. And God recognized work is good for us. One of the very best things for us. Okay? Now, if you really want to exercise, don't go to the Y. Put a pick and a shovel in your hand. You tone up all this. Hey, hey. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, he says, boy, he's an everlasting father. Then he's called the Prince of Peace. We can't function as a people without peace. As long as our minds are racing, and our minds are going all over the place, and we're trying to figure out this problem and figure out this little bit of trouble and figure out this thing over here. How am I going to do this? And how am I? I'm so glad Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me. That I can give them to him. I can give them to him. My kids sometimes used to ask me this question. Why did you send us away to school? 
Because if you had been here in Akron, I would have been in your business. If I had been in your business, mine would have been in your business double time. But if I put some miles between you and me, now me and God can talk about you. And I know whatever God allows, he's allowing it for a purpose. I don't have to watch over you. Because there's one that never slumbers nor sleeps that watches over you constantly. And he kept them. Not saying they did everything right. But God, they discovered God for themselves in many different ways. And they learned how to depend upon their heavenly father, not their earthly father. And the whole process is that he says, well, I'll give you peace. And they discovered a peace with him. We come to that place that we really have peace. Go to Isaiah 26.3. We're going to get ready to close here. Isaiah 26.3. Because here is a promise to us that oftentimes you and I, we miss. And this is what's good about Scripture. You can call upon it. You can remind yourself what God says. And then when you remind yourself with what God says, you can pray it back to God. God, I'm troubled in mind. I'm troubled in heart. But God, you said you would give me perfect peace. God, you know I can't handle this situation. And I'm looking for a way out, or I'm looking for which way I should go. Lord, I'm looking for help. Lord, I'm looking. But Lord, I don't want this thing to take over my life. And I need peace, Lord, about it. Look what he says in that verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Lord, I'm turning this over to you. I like that word trust. Because once I turn it over to him, I can trust him to handle it. And now I'm at peace. And the only thing I'm waiting for is for him to tell me, do I go left, right, straight, go back? I'm waiting for him now to give me direction. And he says he'll give me peace. But my mind got to be where at? On him. Why does my mind have to be on him? I won't hear him if I'm so concentrating on what? Have you ever had the kids so concentrated on their TV, you're calling for them, they don't hear you? That's God. We're so concentrated on this thing and that thing, we don't hear God. And God says, when you put your mind on me to hear me, then I'll put you at perfect peace. In closing out, he takes us into that far, far future. And I think he jumps from here all the way to the millennium. When Christ will reign for a thousand years here on earth. And that he will govern. And it tells us about his government during the millennium. That his government will be like the throne of David. That he will sit on the throne of David. And he will rule with justice and righteousness.
that He takes us from the child being born all the way to the point of the millennium where Christ Himself will reign for a thousand years here on earth. And He will govern over everything. But His government will be based on justice and righteousness. Boy, have you ever unloosed that package? In Jesus Christ, to see what all you possess in Christ is much more than just being saved. It goes much deeper than just being saved. It's in a relationship where you discover this wonderful counselor, this mighty God. There's one who governs over everything. There's one who richly loves you. If you've never begun to really discover all that Christ is, I invite you to do that. Explore him for yourself. If you think you're at one level with Christ and you've accepted Christ, ask God to take you to another step higher. And once you've learned him there and, and, and you're somewhat comfortable with him there, ask him now, take him to another level. And you'll never stop taking another step. It says we grow up in Christ. And you can grow up in Christ. And you will not exhaust him. You will not exhaust him. But you will discover the greatest gift of all has already been given in the person of Christ. Do you have him? Have you gotten further than just taking the bowl off? Have you gotten further than just taking the paper off? Have you gotten further than just taking the lid off the box and looking at it and being amazed by it? Have you taken it out of the box? And now, are you using it and discovering all that that gift can be on your behalf? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the unspeakable gift in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we have so much more to learn about him. That's why we don't want to get stuck in tradition and get stuck, Lord, in just doing this with rituals. We don't want church to be just church. We want you in our midst. We want you in our lives. We want to know you. We want to know you, Lord. And during this time, Lord, May we discover more about you. That yes, for a child is born. You were born on our behalf. A child is given. A son is given. And you were given with a purpose to reconcile us back to the Father. You were given with a purpose to be the head of your people, to shepherd your people, to minister to your people. 
to be an ever-present help to your people. And you are the one who takes all the government upon your shoulders to rule us. And you over all authority in our lives. You're the one. Lord, help us, oh God, to discover all that Jesus Christ is to us. And may we desire to be obedient unto him. May we desire, Lord, to walk as he walked. May we desire, oh God, to please you as Jesus pleased you. Place it in our hearts, Lord, to be the children of God in the likeness of Jesus Christ. May you bless us. May you minister to us. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. If you're here and you never accepted the Lord, it's not something that's hard to 